make sure that uh, that program doesn't contain controversial subjects and uh, you're not impolite to people no definitely not dad you know me i'm never <laughs> ever controversial or yeah, impolite yeah, yeah okay welcome to conversations with your lovable never pisses anyone off never been banned from facebook or youtube never been sabotaged or censored for politely expressing a difference of opinion ex-muslim host Ina, keeping it non-controversial Welcome to episode 33. I've got writer Hussein Kesvani here with me today, and he wrote a particularly interesting piece for Mel Magazine called Masturbating While Muslim. Hi, Hussein. How's it going? It's good. How are you? Good, good. Thank you so much for joining me today. No worries. I'm a big fan. Oh, well, I am a big <laughs> fan of your interesting uh, writing as well. This is a topic that, you know, I've covered a few times on my blog, but, you know, I started writing about sexuality mm. like seven years ago. Yeah, so it's been a while since I, you know, dove into that Muslim <laughs> masturbation online yeah. scene. yeah. But you had a lot of interesting details. Like, it's funny. What is <laughs> what is happening there? Tell us. It's a big question. It's a really big question. Um, I guess, so it'd probably be easy to, like, start off with kind of, like, how this kind of came about. Mm-hmm. Um, so a couple of years ago, I was kind of covering issues to British Muslims at um, BuzzFeed uh, in their office based in London. They wanted to have a beat where we basically told untold stories about British Muslims. Cool. Um, so my thing was kind of, I wanted to kind of talk about youth culture and I wanted to talk, kind of talk about this side of you. So before I was at BuzzFeed, I was kind of working on and off for Vice magazine. And as you know, you know, they do a lot of stuff on subcultures. So mm-hmm. I wanted to kind of bring some of that over here. Um, and the thing that I kind of saw was that all the kind of media around Muslim issues were largely based on like, Charity. Mm. I kind of split it in two ways. It's either like doing, you know, inspirational Muslim does charity work, or you'd have like a terrorism story. There wasn't really anything. <laughs> yeah. but, but you know, there wasn't there wasn't really anything that kind of like really detailed the experiences that you know I had growing up um, as a young Muslim online. So. I was always been interested in those types of stories. Um, this was something that I wanted to do in 2015. I kind of saw this happening on like Facebook forums, but I used to follow for my new stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so you'd always have these conversations. And if you looked at like the comment threads, which were often more interesting than the video. So someone would post a video and the video would say something along the lines of like, you know, you must complete, keep complete celibacy until you're married. Um, this is what, you know, your religion demands of you, etc. But if you looked in the threads, there was much more, there were like different opinions about it. And there were like some people who kind of said, but look, I've been struggling with this and I can't really talk about it because, you know, in my community and in my masjid, Mm -hmm. we don't kind of talk about those issues. Um, So this is kind of where the idea came from. And then a couple of months ago, I kind of stumbled upon a Reddit thread, which was called um, Muslim NoFap. What uh, is this NoFap? Um, like, there's a whole community, <laughs> like, international NoFap community. And, and I've seen, yeah. like, some YouTube white nationalists that are into, yeah. uh, I don't know, asserting their masculinity through controlling their masturbation. Yeah. So, I don't, I mean, this kind of comes from red pill community i don't know if, like you might have listeners who are kind of part of this community and they might get angry with you that i haven't essentialized it properly uh, uh do you so, really uh, think i have mra type listeners oh, you, never, you never know you know we run i run a podcast as well which is about like you know asian people and we actually have a couple of those guys that listen to us um so you know you, know, you never know oh well they're um, not gonna anything, like a lot of what i say then but any, anything that has ex-muslims and they're interested in them so yeah, yeah that's so um, just true. a heads up on that that's so um, true so there's this kind of community online called red pill and you know there's various kind of channels of it but it largely focuses on masculinity and the standard like no fat thread um involves men kind of you know not you know, self, whatever you want to call it, because they want to kind of not self, whatever you want to call it. 
I, I, I'm not. I'm not sure. What, I'm not sure what I'm allowed to say on this podcast. Oh, you're you're allowed to say whatever you want. Oh, great. Okay, so okay, so men who men who basically like you know refrain from wanking, right? Okay. Because they want to a, a very British term. Because they <laughs> I want mean, to this kind whole of, episode is about masturbation, so let's at least not euphemize. <laughs> yeah, you're right. You're right. Um, yeah, so they don't, you know, they don't, you know, wank, they don't masturbate because they want to kind of like assert their masculinity and somehow they want to kind of, re- some people want to reclaim it. They say that, you know, this addiction to kind of pornography and women kind of effeminates them. So that's kind of like your mainstream community. Mm. The Muslim no-fat community is a bit different because mm. whereas a normal no-fat community kind of is very much centered on the individual and this idea of the individual gaining control of themselves. Mm-hmm. The Muslim no-fat community is about kind of returning to like orthodox traditions of Islam, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. It's this idea of like, you know, you kind of control your body for the sake of Allah. You do it for the sake of, you know, the family. You know, so their their intent, you know, their intentions and their objectives are very, very different. Um, and I became very fascinated with that because it was something that was so obvious but no one was really talking about. Mm-hmm. There's another thing too, which was, so I'm currently working on a book about British Muslims and the way that they use the web. And one of those big stories is marriage. Like marriage is this huge thing mm-hmm. in um, some community. And, you know, for men, they kind of go to the masjid and they, you know, have these circles where they talk about preparations for getting married. So I went to a couple of them. Um, for research. And the thing that I noticed was that if you go to these circles, you never spoke about sex. Marriage was always just like, you know, you go speak to the woman's father, um, you know, you speak to their parents, you get permission to marry them, you get married, and then you have kids. That was literally it. It was just like, you get married, you have kids, right? <laughs> That's your objective. And it's kind of, well, what, what about the process that, you know, you have to take, get, you know, yeah. until, you know, that's a really important thing too. And these guys who are going to the masjid to kind of get marriage advice, they're not, you know, guys who have kind of, you know, played around a bit and then turned to Islam. Like they're people who are very, very religious. Yeah. Um, and they've yeah. been religious for a long time and they've grown up with religious families. So what ends up happening is that you have a good portion of these men who are genuinely afraid of what's going to happen when they have to like consummate their marriage Mm -hmm. but obviously you're not going to go tell people that you know i'm really scared that you know and i found that one guy who i referenced in the article he's from canada who said that he had to divorce his wife because you know they were married for a few months and he just genuinely didn't know what to do oh no yeah um you know, and he had to like, go, and he had to go to like a. He chose at that point to go to a proper sex therapist because in Muslim communities, you know, there wasn't anyone who was able to do that. That was like openly, you know, saying that we can kind of do that for you. Right. We have right. like the, they have uh, imams that give this marital advice, and I just think that's the worst place to get uh, advice, especially if you're struggling with issues of sexuality, because yeah. Religion isn't exactly, you know, forthcoming about sex or sexuality, and it kind of mm. doesn't really benefit women to get <laughs> yeah. sex yeah, advice. Yeah, and, and that's another thing. Like, one of the criticisms I got was I didn't really talk about the women's experience. And I thought, I mean, Mel, Mel is a men's magazine, and I'm, you know, I talk about it purely from a male perspective. But I was thinking in the process of writing, like, imagine, like, what it's like to be a woman. Yeah. <laughs> you know, de- you know, dealing with this. And it's especially like when, zip. You know, there's no mention of it at all. It's like it doesn't exist almost. At least there's some sort of uh, no-fap community that, that at least acknowledges that masturbation is a thing, but women yeah. masturbating in Muslim communities is just unheard of or yeah. unspoken about, really. But, you yeah. know, when, you, when I read that this was like uh, an article for Mel magazine, which is a men's magazine. And it's funny because it's indicative of the kind of world and political climate that we're living in now that my mind immediately goes to, oh my gosh, is this an MRA sort of magazine? Yeah. So I started looking at their Twitter feed. I'm like, no, no, it just seems like a regular place that's discussing men's issues. And I I never would have had that thought in another year like maybe like five years ago or just even like a couple years ago my mind wouldn't have gone there but now it's like men's issues oh gosh are we talking mra yeah Uh, it's kind of like i think mel's an interesting magazine because it kind of i mean it was it set out to basically do the opposite of what traditional men's magazines do right so it talks a lot about kind of like you know mental health and you know um body i think there was a really interesting article this week about body acceptance Mm -hmm. for men which you know you wouldn't really hear about like in gq or like esquire and stuff yeah and it doesn't like uh, spend its time shitting on feminists i noticed yeah yeah they i think you know there's quite a lot of women who work for it um 
so that might that might be that might be one of the reasons why (laughs) so yeah i also noticed right at the end of your article i didn't get a chance to look into this that you've also written about muslim mras which is another thing that fascinates me so (laughs) greatly but we'll get into that later let's talk let's talk more about the the no fat muslim community sure it's such a complicated community that like i mean i only i only spent a couple of weeks inside yeah um so you really kind of got the essential basics, but I feel that like there is something more to be written about that space. And hopefully I might be able to write about it in my book when, you know, um, I go back to it again. That sounds awesome. What's your book called? So it doesn't actually have a title yet. Oh, okay. the, provi- the provisional title is called Follow Miyaki, which is the thing that I needed to see. Um, it's kind of the idea of just like male dominated social media. Um, and the stuff that kind of these kids, these British kids who went over to Syria were kind of telling people when they were trying to get them to go over. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, that sounds really interesting. <laughs> um, but I noticed in the uh, masturbation stuff that you were talking about, a lot of it yep. was framed like an ad- addiction, which is something yep. that reminded me of when I went on these forums to write my blog posts and stuff. A lot yep. of it was framed as an illness or an addiction. And then I used to get emails from like Pakistani teenagers as yep. well who were, you know, suffering from this what they thought was this weakness or this illness. And they actually thought it made them physically ill. Yeah. And I don't know, changed the shape of their penises. I got emails <laughs> about how uh, it would, it was leaking. Their penises were leaking stuff. And I'm like, oh, I think okay. that's part, that's part of, that's part of the process. It, it happens. Yeah. <laughs> stuff will come out. You're okay. Uh <laughs> And, you know, one one guy had convinced himself that he was in bed because of excessive masturbation as it was, like, sapping his life's energy. And yeah. I had to send him a bunch of, like, uh, you know, medical posts and stuff like, look at this. It's perfectly normal. You're not slowly killing yourself. You're okay. They, yeah. they, so it's very strange how this is framed. Yeah. I mean, one thing that I would bear in mind is that sometimes those stories can actually be exaggerated some of them may not be true oh but i actually Um, spoke to people who believed it themselves oh really okay yeah okay that's um i mean yeah that's really interesting i mean i can only talk about like my the people that i interviewed and the people that i'm currently interviewing yeah um and they i mean i haven't heard kind of any kind of major exaggerating stories but you're right in saying that a lot of this is framed around addiction. But see, um, you spoke to Western Muslims yeah, mostly, right? Yeah, I spoke to Pakistani Muslims in Pakistan, so I think that's also yeah. a difference. I, so, I sort of wondered whether it was about language. So I think even in kind of Western Muslim discourse, when there is still like this aversion to talk very openly about sexuality, mm-hmm. that language still exists whether like people like it or not. Um, you know, mm-hmm. everywhere in kind of like Western pop culture, like it exists. So like you can be the most about Muslim in the world and you still kind of have to confront this type of language and it'll kind of make you much, much better informed than yeah. I would imagine like living in Pakistan would. Yeah, for sure. Um, so I feel that maybe that could be kind of one of the points of difference. But one thing that does resonate is what you were saying about the language of addiction and how this is usually talked about. Because the thing that I was really interested in when I first started writing the piece was about people who were just doing it normally, like every, you know, just as any other man I assume would. Mm -hmm. Um, So they wouldn't necessarily call themselves addicted, but they would kind of say that like, this is something wrong and it's not kind of prescribed, you know, it's, you know, we're not allowed to do it according to like this reading of the Quran or the Sunnah or like, you know, these hadiths, which say that like, it's a major sin. Those are the things I was really interested in. This idea of like denying yourself, like something that you know is very normal Mm -hmm. for a type of like spiritual purpose that you haven't necessarily defined. Um, and a lot of these guys, I mean, a lot of these guys were just largely focused on marriage, right? So they, you know, for them, they wanted, they didn't want to get married when they were in their words, like living in, you know, living in sin, living in Zimmer. And that was the thing that kind of struck me the most. But the people who were more open to talk about were ones who kind of claimed that they were addicted. Mm. Yeah, I mean, there's also like a couple of schools of thought on this in in Islam, right? There's the one that believes it's basically adultery and you must refrain from masturbating. And then there's uh, a more progressive way of looking at it where it is basically a tool to help you control your sexual desires and prevent you from committing adultery. Yeah. 
Um, but la- the latter of which isn't really prescribed that much. Like even the most progressive imams that I spoke to kind of said that like it's not, they, they would only go as far as to say it's not a major sin. Mm. But it's one of those things that like is disliked, but you won't like go to hell for doing it. Okay. Um, you know, which, which opens up its own problems, right? <laughs> um, and one guy that I referenced in the piece, Mufti Abu Leif, he was like the only imam that I kind of found. And he's not, it's worth noting that he's not necessarily kind of an imam in the traditional sense. He is someone who's trained as a scholar in, um, I think he trained in Saudi. But he, like, he, you know, he basically works as like a youth worker. And he does like Facebook videos where he talks about like Islamic scripture. Right. And you mentioned that he uh, had like a Facebook live session where he yeah. said that masturbation wasn't prohibited at all. And he, yeah. instead he believes that past Muslim scholars had suggested that masturbation could be used to safely manage one's sexual desires. And yeah. was that very controversial? Yeah. So, I mean, I noticed that video um, on a Facebook page that I follow um you know, so you have all these interesting Facebook discussions that you see on your feed and they tend to react to things like this, like a lot. So it was like 130 commented right, about like this one topic. And it was very, very controversial because you had on the very extreme end people that were basically saying that he's trying to like encourage Zina and he's trying to encourage young people to like be led astray. And then you have some kind of... Can you minority. explain what Zina is just for the listeners? Sure. So, um... To make it very simple, it's kind of like an ultimate sin or like a major sin. Okay. Um, something that, like, unless you kind of redeem um, redeem yourself in the real world, in, in you know, in the world, then you won't kind of you'll be punished in the afterlife. And isn't it uh, specifically sexual too, Zina? No, no, I don't think it's necessarily sexual. I think oh, really? a lot of things that are associated with it are, are sexual. sexual. Okay, okay. But I don't think it's holistically like that. But you might want to check that up. Okay. Um, the other thing that I found uh, funny or amusing, I guess, in your article is that you said that there's a, a website in the U.S. called Purify Your Gaze. Yes, which yeah. Provides... Based over North Carolina. <laughs> nice. So anyone, you know, needing their services can look them up. Provides yeah. interactive sessions via Skype, usually involving a mentor and other specially designed programs consisting of physical activities and Islamic prayers to aid men throughout their healing processes from porn and masturbation. Yeah. So I really wanted to interview these guys and they didn't get back to me on time. So hopefully I'm going to be doing a longer interview with them for my book. Um, the way I found about found out about them was through the Muslim NoFap Reddit thread because there were a few people that used it. There was like various mixed reviews about how useful they were. Their attitude was kind of like the way that imams currently do this is that they kind of either do, you know, at the most extreme end, they'll do like Rukia, right? So they'll do like exorcism. <laughs> yeah. Um, and at the kind of other more moderate end, they'll kind of sit you down and talk about, you know, when you kind of feel these urges and fast or pray or do both. Um, fasting is like the most common kind of thing that they recommend that you do. These guys basically say that like there's a more, you need to take a more holistic approach if you're going to kind of, you know, get people to you know stop being addicted to pornography or masturbation or like, you know, just getting these urges. So I'm not kind of sure what the specifics are because I wanted to go into one of these classes and I wasn't allowed to for like reasons of sensitivity. But what I was told by other people that use the site was that you kind of have these one-to-one sessions with a guy who, you know, either runs a website or kind of is associated with the website, they would kind of talk to you about why you're feeling certain ways or why you're feeling certain things, what triggers kind of lead you to that. So one of the guys who used the site kind of said that his main trigger was like going to the beach. Um, and whenever he went, whenever he went to the beach, um, because he wanted to kind of get away and just like, you know, he really liked looking at the ocean. He would see like these women in bikinis, <laughs> um, you know, this very, this very, um, you know, very standard kind of story. Um, but you expect of a teenager, but not necessarily of a 28 year old man. Yeah. I don't know. Is um, that something that ha- like, I can't relate to being aroused by just, you know, seeing people in their bathing suits. So is that yeah. how... How reg? How how often does that ha- like? Is that I I don't know how to phrase this sensitively for men in general, but yeah, no, men just go for it. Like, just be as blood as you. <laughs> is that normal? Like, I mean, is that a result of coming from a culture where 
you're you know you're not around people of the opposite sex you, you you're not you're repressed sexually or do people just get aroused to the point think, of wanting yeah. to masturbate when they're I think yeah on the I think beach? it's I think it's more the latter like I'm I'd be very careful about kind of saying that it's something to do with like you know repression because you have guys from like very open sexual environments who kind of do the same thing and have the same like lack of control and stuff right like they just um, need to get away for a bit and just jerk off because they're at the beach yeah, yeah i mean i assume so <laughs> you know um just like you know, normal guys who like lack self-control i do i think i guess it's harder when you come from an environment where like you're kind of you know not really told what you do when you're in that type of situation or like yeah. you don't have friends to talk to like you know i came I, I come from like a you know moderately conservative muslim household and i never had the talk i was never kind of talked to you know my cousins you know never talked to me about this my uncles never did my dad and mom, my mum didn't but because i went to an english school and i was kind of one of three muslim students there you know you had places to talk about this stuff that were very open right mm-hmm. um a lot of these guys you know they go to schools that are largely dominated by muslims they come from very conservative muslim households religion like is the most important thing in their lives mm-hmm. so there isn't really that space to kind of talk about those things and when you're in those types of situations you know the, you know the advice that like imams give you in those situations are like lower your gaze right mm-hmm. so basically like you're going out in the street and like looking down at the floor when you're walking. Yeah. Which is like sort of ridiculous when you kind of think about it, right? It completely um, is. Yeah, I've, I've been on the receiving end of that, like at oh, uh, really? distant family members' gatherings where, you know, people that are very, very religious, they won't even look me in the eye. And I just, I find it a bit offensive because they'll, you know, shake my husband's hand, at least look at him, acknowledge his presence. Yeah. But they'll just like look at the floor and just walk past me. And I'm like, that's really rude. I mean, I come yeah. from a Muslim family. I, I know where it's coming from. Yeah. But and I mean, even like, even when I go to like family events, you know, and these are like close family events, they still have the curtain up. Do they? they? still like to like, yeah, yeah, I'm not joking. They See, still have I the curtain up. See, I get really like, mad when, I, when I'm in, an, uh, in a segregated <sighs> gathering. I can't, I can't mm. deal with it very well. Yeah. And I think like, I mean, I grew up in that type of environment. So like, I suppose I sort of normalized it, Mm. but now kind of like being, you know, being a writer and like working in various different worlds, you know, you kind of deal with it, but at the same time, you sort of think that like, imagine if you're like a young kid and this is like the stuff you're growing up with. Right. Yeah. So then you go to the beach and then obviously you're going to need to jerk (laughs) off if you see a person in a bikini. Yeah, I mean, and that's kind of like, you know, and, you know, I'm not saying that's like a bad thing. What I kind of tried to warn about in the article is that, like, actually the consequences can be a lot worse because if you don't know how to manage yourself and you don't know how to manage these very complicated emotions and feelings, Mm. you know, God knows what's going to happen to you, right? Yeah. Um, You know, and thankfully, lots of, you know, lots of Muslims come out normally and they kind of learn about it themselves, but there is, you know, a fair amount of people who don't. Of course, Um, yeah. There's a whole range. you know, another thing that I was really interested in was like the, all these like young Muslim men who are getting married, right? In one of the classes that I shadowed for my research, mm-hmm. one of the bits of advice was like, get married when you're young. So they're basically encouraging like 16, 17 year olds to get married, right? Yeah, um, I've heard that before. And, and you can imagine the reason why they're saying that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and they say, well, okay, well, you know, during those moments when you feel those things, you know, and, and 16 is a, you know, a bit of a weird age to, um, to say like, you know, this is the moment when you feel stuff. Right. Um, you know, I did, I just felt that was kind of very strange advice. Um, yeah. Just, I mean, it's the worst advice possible. I have, uh, I have, um, someone that I know that that brought this up that her son was you know getting to university age and how she wanted him to get married Mm. before he went to college and I'm like that's that's a terrible idea he yeah he has no way of looking after himself right now how is he going to be a married person how is this going to be a responsible relationship he knows nothing and you're you're as a parent recommending that he get married I mean it was just I mean a lot of these parents kind of say that like you know we'll look after you know wife and husband um or you know why in Britain anyway 
among like a certain class of like middle class yeah upper middle class Muslims you know you have these uncles that are like you know we'll buy you a house um you know we'll buy you everything that you need so you just have to focus on studying and like just you know, enjoying so that they course. don't have uh, you know <clears throat> sexual desires I mean it's in the in university and my thing was like okay if you want to do that then fine like I don't necessarily have like a major issue with it my kind of concern was more just like you know to be married and to have like a functional relationship like you need to be emotionally ready for that exactly and if you've kind of been told uh, like you're not allowed to have like relationships and like preferably you're not allowed to talk to women unless you have to you know, how the hell are you going to be like emotionally ready for that? It's just, I don't know. For me, like it felt that it was kind of like this tinderbox, but I know that there's lots of kind of Muslim guys who, um, uh, disagree with that. Yeah. I mean, it's, it seems like you're setting them up for failure. And on the other end, I've also heard from people who have been in these arranged marriages that, um, people have less expectations (laughs) when they're not like, you know, people that fall in love it's it's kind of sad, but it's like a business arrangement. So you make it work, and then eventually you grow to like each other. Yeah, I mean, you know, I'm you know, I, I don't really know much about that, and like, I'm not kind of there to judge. Like, I've seen lots of marriages that like start off that that way and end really badly, but I've seen marriages that you know do really well and they thrive from that. So. Um, yeah, I'm not really there to judge, but I do kind of get concerned that if your motivation to get married is largely to kind of regulate some sort of like sexual desire, then that's not a good way to start. That's the worst reason to get married. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but you know, it's not just these online communities that, that, uh, recommend this stuff. I have, uh, seen, there was like a health show, uh, where they took live calls, uh, from Pakistan that was on a couple of years ago. And that's the type of shows. Pardon? the best type of shows <laughs> and so this doctor got this call um from a woman i don't know if it was like a real issue or someone was just trolling him but she was like oh you know i have this problem and i like to masturbate a lot and yeah. um it, it really threw him off visibly and then she's like well what do you recommend i do and instead of saying oh it's a you know it's a normal human function or whatever he's like oh well you should uh dedicate yourself to prayer and you know i prescribe Mm. reading more scripture and i'm like this is a doctor it's so yeah so that he's legitimizing this view that it's a problem yeah and his prescription is to just pray the horniness away pray and fast right yeah (laughs) you know those are those are the magic bullets yeah, because I guess if you're starving, you're not going to feel much else except well, for hunger. I think for them, it's kind of like when you're fasting, you're kind of in, religiously like invested. Um, so you'll you'll make a more conscious decision, kind of not to do that stuff. But, but that's not to, true, though. I mean, I was in yeah. Saudi for many Ramadans, <laughs> and trust me, I mean, people try to change during Ramadan. Uh, yeah there was people who would like, you know, stop drinking or just stop drinking for the, the holiest night of Ramadan, which I always found to be such a sham, right? If you believe in this <laughs> almighty creator, who hmm. are you fooling really that, yeah, you know, you're doing this sinful thing the rest of the year, but Oh, on the holiest night, you're just not going to do it and all will be forgiven. I don't know. Yeah, um, I think like because there is a tradition in Islam of like call it like this idea of like you know you can be redeemed at any time, um, so long as like you're fully invested and you kind of you know you know say the right stuff. That kind of people take people take advantage of that. Yeah, um, yeah, the loophole. That's, that's an observation. I don't have any evidence to back up. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you know, I saw people like breaking their fasts with a beer or a joint and just refraining, (laughs) just refraining from doing that on the 27th night of Ramadan. So that's what I'm saying. It's not really, it doesn't change much. Yeah. And then they judge other people, like they judge other people that are also having the beer on the 27th night of (laughs) Ramadan. So it's, it's a very, you know, it's like, I don't know. You're not fooling anyone. So I don't know yeah. if the fasting will will do I mean, anything. It, I mean, it doesn't. I spoke to people who were just like, yeah, we fasted. And then like when we broke our fast at 9 p.m., like we just went and did it. Right? <laughs> See? Um, you know, so this is kind of like, okay, so you just, you stopped yourself from like doing it during the day. But like, you know, the moment you got some food in you. 
Yeah. Well, you're also so, supposed yeah. to refrain from sexuality, uh, you know, even if you're married and totally in a halal relationship while you're fasting, right? So yes, yeah. I guess. Um, yeah, that's a lot. Yeah, that's a bit. It's a bit tricky. I mean, I don't really. I don't know. I don't really have like um, a major opinion on that, but. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's okay. Um, no, I'm just saying that that kind of links to the the sex negativity that I see. I mean, I don't yeah. want to put you on the spot, but are you yeah. are you religious? Um, sort of, sort of. I wouldn't. Um, I think some people would view me as quite religious, and other people wouldn't. Um, oh. So, but yeah, I mean, I don't drink. I kind of fast during Ramadan. Um, I pray. So yeah, but also at the same time, like you know, I would identify as like quite liberal yeah uh, which means that some people would not view me as like religious right or like secular um yeah so i don't really know how to define myself to yeah i guess it depends on who you ask right yeah. someone on the uh halal no fap community would probably find you not acceptable yeah yeah i mean there's like a few salafi communities that like i have written about who kind of have used the k-word in reference to me, um, like which has been very, yeah, yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which I've kind of like brushed off a bit, but I've been told by other people like, you know, don't, you know, be a bit careful when you write, when you write about this stuff. Yeah. I mean, yeah, of course you got to be careful. Anyone, anyone can be deemed the K word at any point in time. Right. Yeah. Um, and you've got your whole face and name out there. So I would recommend yeah. being careful. Yeah, but I try my best. I tell, I tell my mom I try my best anyway. So. Are your parents concerned ever that you write about these topics? Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, every so often they'll just be like, look, do you just want to go and become a lawyer? Like, you know, we'll pay for you to go to law school. <laughs> um, I, it was more because when I first started out doing journalism, um, I was doing really dangerous stories to kind of get my name out there. So I kind of wrote stories about like exorcisms and, uh, oh, what else did I do? Um, I kind of interviewed like members of gangs wow. <laughs> and, I, and I didn't tell my parents I was doing it. I was just like, yeah, I'm just going out to see my mate. And actually like, you know, we went to some very dodgy part of London to, um, talk. Um, so when they found out all about that, and they usually find out about it after I publish stuff. Mm -hmm. So like my mum will come in and be like, why, why did you do this? Like, <laughs> you know, how, how did this come about? Um, but they're generally like quite supportive of what I do. So, so did they, did your parents ever have a, like a sex talk with you? No. Never, no. eh? Nope. But your um, school? Yeah, so like, you know, in the UK it's really weird because their version of like sex talk is like video. So we watch this very weird kind of sciencey video where like mm. cartoons, you know, and you know, like it's like, you know, watching cartoons like, you know, have sex. Be intimate. It's really, really <laughs> weird. Um as anyone from like the red pill community will tell you. <laughs> um so it wasn't really, I mean, the, the way that you learn about stuff is through your mates, right? You know, they would come and tell you about things that they definitely didn't do, but would say they would. And you would kind of go from there. And like, to be honest, like the way that we learn about all this stuff was through the internet, right? Yeah. And that's where people are still learning about these things. And I think for like parents, parents will kind of, what, what I found interesting is that some people kind of said that like parents assume that like madrasa should teach you about this stuff and the madrasa said that your parents should teach you about you know sex um so as a result like no one's kind of teaching these kids anything and you know the responsibility is being like thrown onto other people to do this stuff yeah and in canada we have like some salafis picking up the slack uh they're doing... very so, yeah so they're very keen on talking about it um uh, yeah in their own propaganda -y way yeah but if you like, if you look on videos online, the people who are talking about sex, like, you know, these like street Dawa guys, you know, these Salafi imams, um, these very kind of these people who are very, very dangerous, but they're also like the people who are most openly talking about these things. You know? Yeah. For all the wrong reasons, like instilling exactly. shame and stuff in, in little kids. Like there was a... There was a Muslim sex ed hashtag or something, uh, and there's this Salafi feminist person who does these talks at 
yeah. uh, mosques, and she talked on the radio about how the bath is a good time to teach the kids about modesty and yeah. haya, which means shame. Yeah. Um, it just, I don't know, it disturbed me because yeah. that's... And isn't, really- that, isn't, isn't that a really interesting thing too? Like, you know, we were talking about language earlier um, and, you know, a lot of that language is centered around shame and a lot of it is centered around modesty. There's very, there's not really a lot of language that kind of looks at Islam through the lens of like intimacy. Yeah. Um, Though there are some hadiths that talk about foreplay and, you know, uh, sex positivity. It's very strange. The contradictions and the priorities, like there was, I think one hadith that talked about um, it being completely barbaric if you have sex without foreplay. <laughs> um, but then other times, you know, there's shady stuff that is permissible. So I don't yeah. know. And I think in that ambiguity, you then open up this vacuum where people can kind of take these extreme positions. Yeah, they and pick not what they really want. really get checked, checked up on it. It's funny. You're in a coffee shop, right? Because I think I can I am. hear the... I can hear yeah, the yeah. yeah there's, um, there's coffee shop upstairs. But anyways, let's move on you want to talk about mras right yeah oh yeah before before we get there there's there's the ending quote of your article which made me uh gave me mixed feelings really kind of made me sad for the guy and (laughs) made me laugh a bit too because he's like i'm fine during the day when i can control my temptations it's Mm. moments at night when i'm alone he admits he takes a long pause and then mutters a short prayer in arabic asking yep. for God's forgiveness. Those are the times I'm worried about. It's at nighttime when the devil likes to tempt us, especially yes. on the internet. So, so there's a bit of a story about that because when I submitted my first draft, he kind of ended it where he just said, at night is where I'm worried, right? Mm. And then when I submitted it to my editor, he was like, oh, we, re- we re- really need like a punctuator ending. <laughs> so I had to like <laughs> ring him again, like ask him more questions. So that's really like an amalgamation of stuff, which he just kind of said, yeah, that's good and you can print that. Mm. Um so as an ending, I think it kind of adds a certain aura that maybe the phone call that I had with him didn't necessarily exude. Um, but maybe that's because I spoke, I've spoken to him quite a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, sorry, sorry, I, I, I derailed you. So, <laughs> um, so, yeah, so yeah. it's just why, that... Why did, why, why did it, like, how did it make you feel? Yeah, it just made me sad that there, you know, there's this, there's this person kind of in this self-loathing, believing that the devil is causing him to have these desires at night. Yeah. And it just must be a really shitty existence to live like that. And then it's also funny because, (laughs) I mean, he literally believes the devil is making him think naughty things. Yeah. I mean, when you're kind of taught sex ed in islamic context like that's kind of the thing that always pops up right the devil? like any any types of temptation comes from the shaitan mm. um which they kind of changed the devil but the original kind of thing that he said was about the shaitan um so i think for him that was like a very normal thing and like when you speak to him about things that aren't to do with like this subject he'll kind of bring up the shaitan quite often so he'll kind of say you know he we spoke a bit about um a house that he's trying to buy at the moment and how, like, you know, Allah has rewarded him by giving him enough to, like, put a down payment on a house. Uh, but he's very worried that, like, the shaitan will kind of come and, like, ruin that for him and his mum. And he just says it very, very openly. Um, so this is very this is very much, like, part of his day-to-day. Uh, so then the, when the, he's paying, like, his mortgage payments with interest, isn't that going to be, like, uh, the shaitan's part in it? Oh, no, no. He told me he got a halal loan. Oh, where they call interest something else. Where, like, he's basically, like, borrowed money from, like, another source and, like, Riba, um... Yeah, I mean, I should have really spoken to him more about that in hindsight. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, he, so he told me that he got a halal loan. So, um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, but- I've worked on some uh, advertising stuff it, when I was in Pakistan a long time ago. And yeah. one of the clients for the agency... Well, one of the clients was a halal banking... Mm. person and we had to make a brochure and even the guy himself was laughing about how how it's exactly the same thing but they call the word interest something else like 
profit. And then that satisfies this need for a lot of people who don't who don't like regular banking. The biggest provider of like halal loans in the UK is like a Qatari bank, Uh which I I find really funny, you know, know, just for obvious reasons of like, you know, these like oil shakes are like, you know, putting like a halal masquerade. And you've got these like Muslims who like really hate Qatar and they hate Al Jazeera, but they'll still take these loans from the Qatari bank. Of course, yeah. Um, Because, you know, they don't use the term interest and you'll get like emails. I get emails like once every kind of couple of weeks telling me that like, you know, go take out a halal loan and, you know, stuff like that. Um, You've got like, you know, the Emir of Qatar at like the bottom of the email. Um, Yeah. So I just, I just found, I, I find, I find that whole space really interesting, but yeah, like back to the point that you were talking about, you know, he uses these terms very, you know, just in day-to-day conversation. So I think what sounded really dramatic in the article may not necessarily been so dramatic to him. Um, yeah. Just the bringing up of Satan is like just a regular, it's a normal thing. It's a normal um, thing. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, it's going back to language, right. And like how we talk about, you know, sex ed and this is still the language that's like largely dominant. You know, if you're going to go to the masjid, this is the, this is, these are the types of, you know, these are the types of things that are going to be said in that context. So he's, I mean, he's just thinking in those terms. And if you look at Muslim nofat, like, you know, they also use those terms as well. I think because of the internet, because of like the fact that it exists on Reddit and like lots of people go on different Reddit forums, it's less obvious, but they still think about, you know, sex in that, in that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I find that the world is shrinking too, right? So probably yeah. the Muslim nofap uh, Reddit has uh, chucked out the other nofap Reddits and things are just starting to come face-to-face with each other. So at some mm. point they're going to, I feel like they're going to have to confront the idea of whether they want to bring Satan into everything, everything little, whether it's an abstract concept or like a real guy that's hovering above them and making their dicks hard. Um, (laughs) So it's strange. The internet brings so many, so many different communities and cultures together that um, the contrast of this stuff seems silly right now, but I feel like it's, um, as as the world shrinks, we might lose some of it, maybe. Yeah, I mean, like, this is kind of one of the reasons why I started on this book, right? Like, I just kind of felt that, like, these conversations about Islam and stuff are, like, changing a lot because of yeah. the web. Yeah. And because of the fact that, like, loads of things are converging, young Muslims kind of have to now rethink the way that they see themselves as Muslims, right? Yeah, I think that's um, such a great idea, too, because uh, <laughs> these are you. areas that are not talked about about Muslims, as you said, as you mentioned earlier, right? It's either like a terrorist story or like some uh, religious charity story, some feel good. So, you know, there are lots of subcultures and things going on, which would actually serve to normalize Muslims for the uh, greater climate in the West right now. I think it would be very beneficial to do such a thing. I mean, of course Mm -hmm. we have our anti-masturbation Reddit threads, and of course we have our strange MRA subcultures, and uh, they're not necessarily great, but they are totally in line with what's happening on the non-Muslim side of the world, right? So, and and that brings me to asking you about Muslim MRAs. Oh, this, yeah, this is a really interesting subject. Um, It kind of started off in the same way. So this was my first story for Mel when Mel were like fit, like a newish place. And I was just very intrigued about the things that they were writing. Um, but the story actually came from a guy called Nabil Aziz. Um, now, I've Nabil heard Aziz of this did, guy. Oh my gosh. Yeah, you, should have him on the, you should have him on the show. He's interesting, but oh, like he's, um, I don't know if I have yeah. the strength to, but <laughs> yeah, you'll have to like, you'll have to, do you drink coffee? No, I don't. Well, whatever, like, you use to kind of, like, regulate, you know, your feelings, like, you'll have to, like, bring a lot of that. Wine? Uh, uh, yeah, you might you might have to do that. <laughs> so Nabil, Nabil was interesting because he kind of, he was, like, this Muslim guy who, like, kept popping up on all these alt-right spaces. So there's a guy called Mike Cernovich. Yes, I know him very who, well. Who has blocked me because I made a joke about him. Um, <laughs> what a snowflake. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um so and he and Nabil were talking about I was like okay Mike Cernovich is really worried about like a Muslim invasion in the US yet like this guy who like identifies as like 
a conservative Muslim is like being, being made to like this is really weird. And I was looking at Nabil's profile more and he runs this website called being an alpha Muslim. And he like <laughs> hangs out on lots of these like MRA red pill groups. But he basically says that like, I take a really different approach because like, while these red pill groups are very individualized and, um, you know, they're about kind of improvement of the self and like to kind of assert your masculinity. What being an alpha Muslim is, is like ultimately like your ob- obligation is to God and like you, you're going to be a man, but like God, you know, Allah is like designed you to be. And his thing is this like, you know, Muslim feminists have like effeminated Muslim men and, you know, yeah, and it can, this it can is be so really, bizarre because it's just the flip of that other, yeah. the other MRA coin, but just it's basically like an Islamized version of you know normal MRA culture, right? Yeah, but it kind of includes things where, like, so where MR some of some of MRA culture is about like you know asserting your alpha dominance over women, like. In a, you know, his kind of version is like, well, you know, you getting married to a woman is like, you know, a given anyway if you're from a Muslim household or family. So this is how you should act like a man, right? So that means like, you know, you know, reading, you know, the you know the the history of Prophet Muhammad and like trying to imitate him, and you know, looking at the way he, you know, he his um, decorum towards his wives, and that's how you should be treating your wife as well. Um, I know that like if he listens to this, like he'll kind of say that I've. Completely of course that's what they yeah, all say but he wrote like a big repost of my article on his website which was more of just like you defined how i define myself incorrectly um but i feel like i i feel that like that's kind of his sort of gig right um mm. if you look at his twitter feed like you know he kind of you know has fights with feminists yeah um you know, especially if they're Muslim feminists and he'll be like very, very aggressive about it. But at the same time, like, you know, he'll go after like these alt-right guys who are anti-Muslim. But that's so, all of them almost. So yeah, yeah, yeah. what's and it's going very, on? <laughs> it's just this very weird space that he's like a very fringe part of, but yeah. an interesting fringe. So he was like, he's kind of like the go-to guy because he's the most public guy and he wants to be in the media and stuff like that. The actual other MRAs tend to be more hidden. So these are guys who kind of like sympathize with like alt-right ideology, but they don't like the fact that it's inherently anti-Muslim. Um, so they would be very happy like doing the MRA thing if it was just about, you know, bad talking feminists and, you know, asserting your dominance over your wife or whatever. But they're very uncomfortable with the idea that like actually these alt-right guys are genuinely convinced that there's going to be like an Islamic invasion. I mean, so that should clue how- them in into how stupid their other ideas are. <laughs> um, this, is my, this is my thing. I was kind of like, you know, the, one of the cores of like alt-right ideology is like the idea that like, you know, Islam is like the existential enemy. Like one of the interesting things about the MRA culture is how like some of them have kind of embraced Christianity and like, you know, very, you know, this very weird form of Christianity, which kind of harks back to the Crusades. And and for me as an atheist, it's very disturbing to see the, uh, there, you know, some atheists kind of follow along and overlap with this and kind of become Christianity apologists. Because yeah. I'm like, I thought we were not into religion and now we're like yeah. apologizing for one of them so that we can hate on another one even more so this, this, this is really interesting so i don't know i i'm reading this new book by a guy called douglas murray right now oh gosh yeah oh, okay okay so you guys are like yeah so he's obviously you know what <sighs> he's like right yeah so his, his new his new book kind of essentializes the argument that you just made right yeah, yeah. which is you know Douglas is an atheist. He's never going to be religious. But what he says is that, like, you know, it would be a shame if the churches went because, you know, these this outward, these outward Christ, like version of Christianity is like what defines Western civilization. And I think a mm. lot of these guys kind of take from that. Like, they're not interested in the theology. They're not interested in kind of like biblical argument. They're there for aesthetics and like the alt right is inherently an, an aesthetic movement. Yeah, but it's um, also about like the the superiority, right? The civilized Christianity and you know the, the Christianity brought about these amazing uh human rights whereas islam is this evil barbaric uh religion yeah. that's taking over and islamizing the west and sharia law is everywhere and the yeah. immigrants are coming in and breeding too much and the white people are becoming minorities and i mean D- douglas also has some fears about white britons becoming a minority 
yeah. uh, which he's made clear in a few <laughs> places. So yeah, I mean, like, if you read his book, it's really just like an amalgamation of his columns, like combined with. That sounds you know, delightful. I'll be buying it immediately. <laughs> <laughs> well, luckily, I have. I, I, I got a review copy, so. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I wasn't prepared to pay, like, £20 to buy it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, he captures, like, this argument that, like, the alt-right, I, I feel like more mainstream alt-righters kind of embrace. And Nabil kind of, you know, he takes some of that, but he doesn't take other bits in. So, and when I asked him, like, you know, he do, he doesn't really define himself as alt-right, even though he kind of ticks of loads course. of boxes. yeah. Um, but that's another thing with this, with this movement, right? Like, you know, they are happy to embrace the name when it suits them, but they're not happy when you kind of call them up on it. So it's like Nabil is happy to hate on women so much that he's willing to ignore the bigotry uh, towards Muslims in the alt-right. So he retweets and cites them all the time. Um, yeah. I right? Mean, yeah, Does that sound yeah, fair? Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, I'm sure he wouldn't find of that Of course fair, he wouldn't I, find I, it fair. Yeah, I, I think that's a good way of capturing that. And also just like, you know, he the thing that he's attracted to the most is like this whole idea of like being alpha and being masculine, right? So At any cost. It's funny uh, because yeah. I saw him uh, post, I think, a, an excerpt or a link to an article from this guy called Vox Day. Yes, yeah. So he's like, the, he's like a Christian writer. Yeah, and he wrote this article about how marriage equals consent. And so once you're married to someone, you don't need their consent. Like that in itself was the consent. So there's no such thing as marital rape. Yes, I think I I read this It's so disturbing. This is exactly the kind of shit the extremist mullahs are saying. And people in the West are like, oh, my gosh, that's so, you know, so backward and barbaric and horrific. But now these alt-right guys have started to spin it as well. And now there's this convergence of, you know, this alpha Muslim bullshit. And I did. I I, I don't know if you're familiar with a guy called um, Rushby. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um. So when I was researching that article, like the reason, the thing that started off was an article that I saw on Rushvi's website, which was about whether Islam is red pill or not. And his oh argument was very similar. But his thing was just like, you know, I, you know, and he literally starts with this thing where like, I know we're all worried about Islam and we're all worried about how it's going to like dilute Western civilization. And like Rushvi, like he's, he's Iranian, like he's an Iranian. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think he's like half Muslim as well, but I'm not sure. So, he does this article where he's like, but we can learn some stuff from Islam, you know, the way that they treat their women, the way that, you know, uh, the way that they treat their children. So like, just because we're against it doesn't mean that we can't kind of learn things from it as well. And actually like, I admire parts of like the biography of Muhammad. Islam is red pill has to be the greatest article title ever. Yeah. Yeah. And it was just like, it was just, it was really surprising thing to read. And what, and then I, searched on Facebook and I found but like all these groups that like I follow um had like shared it and they shared it very sincerely and you know none of them really knew who Rush V was you know I, I, I don't know and Rush V is like this uh, I don't know pro-rape guy right didn't he say something about it being yes, okay it, to rape a woman if she's on your property but then he kind yeah, of like, backed away from that and said he didn't really mean it so I, I don't yeah, so he, was, he was on a BBC documentary um, and he had written a book where, like, this segment basically said that, like, you know, this is what, you know, this is why consent doesn't actually mean what consent is. And the host of this BBC documentary called him up on it and, you know, basically, like, Rush couldn't answer it. And then he did this, like, 20-minute YouTube video where he was just like, the BBC stung me. Um, they misrepresented my uh, my statements. Um, yeah, as you do. Of course. Yeah. I mean, this is so bizarre. It's so bizarre to see these movements coming together, like the misogyny from the East and the misogyny from the West coming together in this nice, beautiful MRA package. Um, Even though uh, the alt-right doesn't like Islam or Muslims often. It's I mean, this is, I mean, I mean, it tells us a lot about the internet, right? It tells us a lot about, like, you know, when we go online, we search for the things that we want to search, and we take bits from certain places. But you know, people don't. I, I feel that this is like one of the kind of big gaps that we've had when we've talked about how people get like radicalized online, for example. Um, we can't. There's this assumption that like you'll go into this wormhole and you'll like absorb everything. When I think the reality is, is that there's some tenets that like you already believe in. 
and the internet kind of just like or certain areas of the internet kind of affirm those beliefs and they don't all come from one person right they come from like communities and networks which are all like inherently linked together yeah i mean i guess that's possible for some people but for me i find it i I mean it's it's hard for me to you know to imagine joining a movement which i loathe parts of um just because i also agree with some parts It's like me joining up with i don't know salafi is to hate on the alt-right I, I fucking yeah. hate the alt right, but I certainly am not going to, you know, hold hands with Salafists to do it. Or I mean, yeah. I'm not going to join the alt right to hate on Salafists either. So, <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, you're right. Um, but some people and, yeah. find it convenient. Yeah, absolutely. So it's strange. yeah, and you can. I mean, it's even in like even like you know in leftist online movements that kind of happens, right? Um, and like. I think one of the interesting things that we've seen about like the mainstream or right right now is that they were a lot more unified in the 2016 election, but mm. now the divides are coming up. So like yeah. you've got all these really famous alt-right guys who are falling out with each other um, and calling each other cucks. And it's like really funny to watch. <laughs> it's beautiful. Um, yeah. It's really, really funny to watch. Yeah. Uh, one of them argued with Mike Cernovich over doing the Hitler salute, right? Something like yeah, that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah what a um, cuck. um and it's just yeah and but you know that sort of indicates just like you know the limits of how far like networking can go but it does tell us a lot about how people become attracted to these movements and i just generally not convinced that like you know some innocent kid buys a laptop and then like a month later they go and become like an alt-right guy or a jihadist or whatever yeah yeah and and it's interesting to me that there are all these purity ideological purity tests even in the in the alt right and on the right yet it's the left that always gets you know tarred for oh look they eat their own and they have all these ideological yeah. purity tests but they exist on the right too they're just never ever um framed like that or brought up so mm. Yeah, it's an interest. It's a, it's interesting. It can be very tiring to watch, but it is very interesting. Yeah, it's it's a crazy <laughs> mess right now. Um, but I'll be keeping an eye on that Muslim MRA thing. I'm definitely very fascinated yeah. by that. I'm. I mean, I'm hoping to do more, and I'm just hoping to like find out how deep this rabbit hole goes because I wrote that story in a week, um, so I didn't really have a lot of time to research. But I do genuinely feel like the hole is a lot deeper. And actually, I feel that, like, it's not really rooted in the Western world. I feel these things are actually probably a lot more prevalent in, like, South Asia and the Middle East. would they be MRAs then? They're just regular, I don't know, Islamists (laughs) or regular guys. They're not MRAs. Like, the government in Pakistan is MRA. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's red (laughs) red pill. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Um, I think just because, like, in, I don't know, in, in the Western world, because... I think even if you're kind of one of those Muslims who would be susceptible to these types of emotions and beliefs, um, you know, from my observation anyway, like most of these guys won't latch on to like MRA or like Red Pill and stuff, like like people like Nabil will, because, you know, they don't want to be part of a movement that is inherently anti-Muslim, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so and this is what I see as well. Like, you know, there's guys on my Facebook feed who like post anti-feminist stuff but they will never kind of like say hey i read guerrilla mindset and you can buy it um you know they wouldn't actually do that so for them like you know they can identify what's anti-muslim and what isn't even if like they believe certain things you have to be like a certain type of person to kind of go beyond that and kind of you know embrace red pill yeah with little swords and stuff yeah i mean on a more mainstream scale that's kind of what um you know muslims for trump did right or gays for trump or whatever oh yeah 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 so supporting someone on something because you hate something else so much that you're willing to overlook that this movement also hates you yeah yeah strange phenomenon <laughs> it's just the internet man it's just i don't know it's just weird weird place but maybe the, the long, it's always been time. like this but now we can observe these little movements much more clearly because they're this documented is, this is a very interesting thing because yeah you're right so actually like these movements like red pill and like no and stuff have existed for years like yeah. i remember like 2004 2005 like there was a forum called totsi um which was really just there for like computer nerds and stuff and they used to talk about this stuff right and it was all kind of rooted in like cyber culture and 
you know, libertarianism and stuff. And a lot of the conversations that are now going to the mainstream and things that you see in like the New York Times and stuff were conversations that like they were having, you know, on these forums back in the day. And like, I used to spend hours on these forums just like fascinated with these guys with really problematic opinions. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, you just now said cyber culture and it's some, it's, it's a word that I haven't heard in a while. Like cyber seems yeah. an outdated word now, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's like, you know, we can't really separate it. And that's, that's the weird thing about the moment that we live in, which it's is that, like, funny when because, internet like, culture, like, breaks out. Yeah, like, back in, I don't know, in the early 2000s, cyber was attached to everything. And, you know, in the gossip culture, which I was, uh, you know, uh, a part of, um, cyber was... A, was attached to every goth night. Like, I don't know. There was a cyber this and a cyber that. I don't know. It's funny, but you don't hear that word anymore. Yeah. I think just because, like, you know, there's this acceptance that, you know, we're all, like, connected and, you know, our lives are, in one way or another, you know, cyber. Yeah. Just put it, just put it, to put it like that. Yeah, now now everyone just uses internet. (laughs) Cyber. Yeah. Yeah. But anyways, it's been a pleasure chatting with you. Thank you Um, so much. I really enjoyed it as well. Keep me posted on any more Muslim MRA stuff because... uh, I will. I will. I'll send you, I'll send you like messages as soon as I find interesting stuff. Cool. And cool. There will be more stuff in my book, which should be out next year. So yeah. Yeah. So tell people where they can find you, where they can follow you, or where sure. they can read your work. Sure. Um, so my Twitter is at H Kezvani. I use it a lot. So like, you know, just like follow me and DM whatever. I'm a freelance right now. So I usually write for vice magazine. It's obviously vice.com, but I do write for various places. Um, guardian, independent, private eye um and my book is out with hearst publishers which is a uk-based publisher and that should be out in march next year fingers crossed (laughs) very cool cool thank you so much all right well you take care you too bye thanks for listening to another episode of polite conversations you can support this podcast by sharing the shit out of it making some noise about it or contributing via patreon patreon.com forward slash nice mangoes no ian mangoes also you can follow me on twitter at nice mangoes if you want to make a one-time donation instead of a monthly patreon one you can do so via paypal nice mangoes.blog at gmail.com remember no ian mangoes if you've got an interesting story and would potentially like to be a guest you can email me there too a special thanks to dylan beck for theme music, sound, and production help. 